Hello everyone, C-Bane here, and welcome to another episode of the Revival Church Podcast. Happy Thanksgiving. Um, as you all know, last Thursday was Thanksgiving, and I hope that you all had a great holiday with your family, um, and even if maybe it was a little bit smaller than it normally is most years, um, I hope at least you took the time to thank God for the many blessings in your life. That's what, uh, that's what I've been trying to do, and uh, it's never a bad idea to do that. So anyway, again, happy Thanksgiving. It's good to be back with you guys. Um, I know we've been kind of spotty here and there over the holidays and with uh, COVID and all the different things that have happened over the last couple months, it's uh, it's going to be touch and go. So um, just uh, I'm putting stuff out whenever I can. And uh, that actually brings me to the next thing that I was going to talk about. Um, I'm going to try my best over the uh, month of December to try to put out something weekly for you guys, um, especially for those of us that go to Revival Church. Um, as you all know, we are going to one service on Sundays, which uh, leaves a little bit of a void um, as far as the amount of word and different things that we are used to gobbling up every week, if you'll excuse the uh, Thanksgiving pun. Um, it's just uh, we're used to having more than what we're going to have, so this at least will try to supplement that a little bit. So. Um, we're going to try to go weekly for the next little bit, and then at the beginning of the year, we'll regroup. Um, we're also, uh, if I can get the guys together, um, I know it's it's different, especially with uh, different people's jobs and uh, trying to stay separated from, from, you know, from everybody and all the sickness that's going around and stuff. Who knows what will actually happen, but uh, we want to get an actual Christmas special put together for you guys so uh be looking for that in the next few weeks um other than that uh it's just uh the same old stuff go ahead and give us a like on facebook uh five star review and subscribe on all of the the major podcast sites podbean apple podcast spotify all that good stuff um if you've already subscribed thank you so much for listening if you haven't yet go ahead and subscribe and uh just uh keep listening because uh there's a lot of good stuff going on here at the Rival Church Podcast. So uh, this week is actually going to be another sermon podcast. And over the next few weeks, that's probably what it will be um, unless we come up with something different. Uh, but that's what we're doing today. This is actually going to be the first time that I've put a Timothy J. Walkstetter uh, sermon up. And many of, if you are a Revival Church podcast listener, then you have heard his voice somewhat, but you haven't heard him preach. So uh, this is a uh, this is a treat. Um, he is a wonderful speaker, um, good friend of mine, and uh, I'm just uh, thankful to have him around. And I'm thankful that he was willing to allow me to put a, uh, a one of his sermons up this week. Um, you're going to be blessed. And uh, it's actually last year's Thanksgiving sermon, if that makes sense, from... Revival Church. Um, it's called A Four Time, and uh, he talks about Daniel and some uh, different people in the Bible, and uh, but ma- mainly Daniel. And he's talking about how Daniel, even during uh, during times when he wasn't supposed to be praying, um, you know, the government told him that he couldn't pray publicly. He just did what he always did, you know. And uh, I think with all of the things that are going on. Um, you know, and this isn't any kind of speaking out against the government so much as just life in general has caused us to live um, live in a different uh, paradigm. And the, the things that we do and the things that we think about on a daily basis have changed substantially since the beginning of the year. So it's important over the course of this uh, season that we're in not to forsake the things that we've always done, um, to seek the Lord, to be faithful, to try to make the world a better place and be as good of Christians as we're pe- capable of being. So um, that's basically what he's talking about. Um, ordinarily, I would cut off maybe the end of the sermon when the music comes in and different things. Um, and sometimes they don't even have the altar call on the recording that I get. Um, but this week, I think... 
it is important to go ahead and leave it in there because that's where he finishes up some of his points. And um, it's really powerful at the end. But don't let don't let any kind of musical distractions uh, don't let those things distract you because um, what he's saying is great. And uh, I just want I just don't want anything to interfere with the word if that makes sense. So, um, but anyway, uh, just uh, thank you guys so much for listening again, and uh, have a great week. And let's try our best to keep Thanksgiving in our hearts all year long. Um, Without any further ado, here is a four-time by Brother Timothy J. Walkstetter. Daniel chapter number 6 and verse number 10. Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, and of course the writing that they're talking about is that he's not supposed to do what he's going to do. Okay, that's important. He knew that when the writing was signed, he went into his house, his windows being opened in his chamber toward Jerusalem. He kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he did aforetime. You'll see, he knew the writing was signed. He went into the chamber. He opened those windows toward Jerusalem. He kneeled upon his knees three times a day. He prayed and he gave thanks before his God as he did aforetime. And that's the, the word I, I want to point out, the one that's the, maybe the oddest of here, the one that we don't hear because we don't use it anymore. It's archaic. That's that last word, simply aforetime. That's what I want to talk to you about a little bit today, aforetime. Can you pray with me right now that God would be a blessing to somebody? Let's just pray right now. Father God, we love you and we praise you. I pray that you bless us and help us and touch us. I pray that you'd anoint me, continue to anoint me and anoint my lips of clay and anoint our hearts of stone and help us to receive a word from you. We love you and we thank you. We thank you for the body of Christ and members in particular. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated today in the house of the Lord. Of course, when we talk about Daniel, He's one of those Bible characters that all of us are familiar with. Everyone knows Daniel. I think it's because that uh, his stories, the stories of the fiery furnace, the stories of Daniel in the lion's den, they're basically the staples of every Sunday school class I've ever been a part of. But like most folks of Scripture, there is more to Daniel than meets the eye. His name Daniel means God is my judge. That's the little E-L. That means God. God judges or God is my judge. And his parents named him Apley. For you'll see here that he was born in a particular time. It was an appropriate name. He was born in a time that judgment was headed his way. You'll see here, of course, we really don't know that much about him. Uh, Justin taught about him a few months ago, and I remember we entered into a discussion about Daniel, and as we did, we were kind of of just shooting ideas out there, because there's a lot we don't know. We we do know that he was born somewhere in the 7th century before Christ. We do know that he was born in Judea, uh, Judah, the land of Judah, and we do know that he was born to parents, but we don't know what their names were but that he was raised in such a way that he honored the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He was raised to be a follower of that Most High God. His parents would whisper into his ear, no doubt, probably the first words that he would hear would be the Shema, Israel, Elohim, Elohinu, Elohim. We'll see here, of course, that's all before the Babylonians came. And when the Babylonians came, then the judgment of God came upon that culture that he was a part of. And his world was turned upside down, never to be the same. His new king, Nebuchadnezzar, must have seen something special in him, which is why he ended up in Babylon to begin with. Daniel chapter 1, verse number 3. The king spake unto Ashpenaz the the master of his eunuchs, 
that he should bring certain of the children of Israel and of the king's seed and of the princes. Children are young people in whom was no blemish, but well-favored and skillful in all wisdom and cunning and knowledge and understanding science and such as had the ability in them to stand in the king's palace and to whom they might teach the learning and the tongue of the Chaldeans or the Babylonians. And so we will see that he is exported out, not as a slave, but to be a servant in the palace. And he was introduced there to a new nation and they gave him a new name and they had to learn a new language and he was given new clothes and he had a new diet that they tried to give him, a new home, a new life. Totally different than the way things were before. And he quickly, Daniel quickly had to figure out not only where to stand or when to stand in the court, but where and when to take a stand in life. You know, not everything is worth fighting over. Some things you just got to let go of, but there are some things in the course of life you do have to fight over. Daniel had to figure out where to draw those lines. You can't fight over everything. You can't fight it because they give you a garment, but you can fight about the particular type of diet they give you. That, there were some things for Daniel he had to kind of figure out, and as a young man, he had to figure it out on the run, on the fly. Yeah. And so with all of the learning and all the schooling that these Neo-Babylonians, these Chaldeans would give him, he had to learn to navigate the treacherous waters of Middle Eastern politics of the day in which uh, you can see that assassination and murder were par for the course. You read about Babylonian history, like all of them, like all of the, the Medes and the Persians, like all of them are somehow assassinated. Daniel's a part of that world. And you'll see here that in spite of the situation, he continues to rise to the top, regardless, like Joseph, or whatever situation he finds himself in, he, he somehow finds the best of it. You'll see here that in the book of Ezekiel that mentions him, his name is synonymous with wisdom and with righteousness and with perseverance, so much so that his name is listed alongside those of Noah and Job. They simply would say concerning Daniel, he was in it. He was in it. And you'll see he had to endure the vicissitudes of life in that kingdom. He had to endure the times of of greatness and the times of madness of Nebuchadnezzar. And he had to go from one king to another. And not only one king to another, one empire to another. Because while he's there, the empire actually changed hands. And yet still, he becomes a person that continues to rise. I think if there's any point in time you can actually see that is a great emblem of this man. It's when he reads the writing on the wall and when the king tries to honor him, he says, I want to give you a position. And Belshazzar says, the man that can write the, uh, the, read the writing on the wall, I'm going to give him something great. Daniel says, no, thank you. Right. Even though he later on would continue to bless him because he knew that kingdom was coming down. He knew exactly what that had to say, but it goes from the Babylonians to the Medes and the Persians and you'll see the one thing that would remain consistent, constant in that world was his character. And every shift, and every time there would be a change in his world, somehow he would try to make the best of it. And with that, it would be as if he was climbing a ladder of leadership. With every shift would come a new rung, and he would climb slowly but surely. And now here in Daniel chapter 6, he has reached the pinnacle of that ladder. And he is not a young man. You have to understand that. He is now an old man. Many Bible scholars put him approximately 80 years of age in Daniel chapter 6. And the rules have now changed again for him. And here he is. He is one of the most powerful men in the world. He is one of the presidents. And he is the chief of those presidents. But you'll see here that he had to endure the jealousy of his peers and his rivals, and they tried to set out to figure out a way that they could get to him, and the only thing they knew about him was his religion and that he loved this one God that had given him so much, and so they tried to use 
that devotion to that one God against him by persuading the king to ban unauthorized prayer for a month. It's only a month, Daniel. Come on. Surely you can stop your praying for a month. I mean, if I guess if it were some of us, we probably wouldn't even know that there was a ban against prayer for a month. But here's Daniel. He he knows what's that it says. In fact, it's it's kind of the throwdown that that not only is this ban, but if they they catch you breaking this ban, they're going to throw you into a den of lions. Lions are always kind of a type of the divine judgment, if you would. You see that in the Old Testament, and they're tying in with all of that, you know, that's going to be divinely judged in such a way by these lions. And so Daniel has a decision to make, but it's really not much of a decision for him. The Bible lets us understand that he knew that the writing was signed. Yet he continued to do what he'd always done before. He even, I mean, Daniel, come on, you're going to pray. At least keep the windows closed. But no, Daniel does what he's always done before. He's done it three times a day, and he's probably done it for year after year after year after year. And so this is not going to stop him, and this is not going to hinder him. And so he goes, and he opens that window one more time, and he faces Jerusalem, and there he prays. And while he is praying, he also gives thanks unto his God, as he did aforetime. Obviously, the word aforetime means before or previously. We'll see here that obviously in the context, it means he's basically doing what he's done before he found out about the writing, before he found out about the signing, at least, of this new law. But I think for Daniel, it could mean a little bit more and just that. You see, Daniel is, it's easy to look at Daniel and simply see him as a Jew who's just trying to fit into a world and fit into a culture and fit into a society. And, and therefore, he is just uh, kind of going along and he's learning how to be like a Babylonian and learning how to be like a Persian. But there's actually something very unique about Daniel because there's a part of Daniel that is unyielding. There's a part of Daniel that does not change. There's a part of Daniel that is never actually changes, never stops being a Jew, grew up there in Jerusalem, that worshiped at a temple. You see, he is actually... What he's doing here in, in, in Daniel chapter number 6 is he is invoking a prayer request that was made by another king some 300 years before this event. There's a guy by the name of Solomon, and he built a big house we call a temple. And as he dedicates that temple, he, he prays to God, and he's throwing out situations that may come up in Israel's future. He's, he's just kind of throwing them out there. And he says this in 2 Chronicles chapter 6, verse number 34. If thy people go out to war against their enemies by the way that thou shalt send them, and they pray unto thee toward this city that thou hast chosen in the house which I have built for thy name, hear thou from heaven their prayer and their supplication and maintain their cause. Give them victory. And we all like that because we're all about victory. We're Pentecostal. We are all about victory. But you know what? Sometimes life doesn't work that way. And sometimes we're not victorious. And sometimes instead of winning, we lose. And Solomon even covered that. He covered all of his bases when he prayed this prayer. He said, you know what? It might even be. It's that. It might be that, that this, this loss is because of judgment from you. That you are judging them. And so he goes on to say in 2 Chronicles chapter 6, that if they sin against thee, parenthetical phrase, for there is no man that sinneth not, just in case we don't know that, and thou be angry with them and deliver them over to their enemies and they carry them away captives unto the land far off, Yet, he said, yet, if they bethink themselves in the land whether they are carried captive and turn and pray unto thee in the land of their captivity, saying, we have sinned, we have done amiss, and we have dealt wickedly. 
If they return unto thee with their heart and with all of their soul in the land of their captivity, whither they be carried them captives and turn toward their land which thou gavest unto their father and toward the city which thou hast chosen and toward the house which I have builded for thy name, then hear thou from the heavens. Hear thou from the heavens, even from thy dwelling place, their prayer and their supplication and maintain their cause and forgive thy people which have sinned against thee. And that's exactly what had happened to Daniel. I don't think you could accuse Daniel of being some major sinner as a young person, but he was a part of a culture that had been judged. And now that house that Solomon had built lay in ruins. And major portions of it, the instruments of it, lay in the coffers of a pagan emperor. And yet, even though that temple lay in ruins, the promise was still alive. And it was still well, just waiting for somebody to enact upon it. Just waiting for someone to breathe life into it. And so Daniel would go day after day, not for, not for just a one-time experience. He did it as he had done a four-time. His entire life, he found himself in a situation in which he would open a window and he would turn toward Jerusalem and he would recenter himself. And he said, I know where I am and I'm not where I want to be, but I know that there's a God that will hear me and will forgive me and forgive my people and will touch me. And he didn't just do it once, he did it three times a day. He'd kneel upon his knees, and as he would do that, he wouldn't just pray a prayer of repentance. As he opened that window and as he prayed, the Bible says, he gave thanks before his God. Gave thanks before his God. You know, it's funny, this is the only time you'll see the giving of thanks giving of thanks to God at all in the prophets. The prophets aren't exactly telling us stories that we want to be thankful about. That's what makes them prophets. It's kind of doom and gloom. Whether they be major or minor, this is the only time you'll actually see the giving of thanks recorded. But it possibly is this is exactly who Daniel is. He is a person who knows in spite of the situation he will give thanks unto his God. He will give thanks before his God because God is still good. God's mercy is everlasting and his truth endures to all generations and his mercy endures forever. So here he is. And as he opens that window, and as he bows his head and he kneels upon the ground, he is transported back. He is no longer an 80-year-old man. He is a child that is praising God anew and afresh. He's just a little boy now, not burdened by all the responsibilities of kingdom, not burdened by the responsibility of adulthood and family. Instead, he's simply a child who is crying out before his God. And as he does that, there's a sense of something that comes over him that is overwhelming. He begins to worship and thank God for the simpler times before politics, before Persia, before Babylon, as he did aforetime. He becomes that little Jewish boy and that was something he never lost. That's never lost it. Life could have kicked it out of him. Life could have taken it away from him. Life could have made this man had a right to be bitter and he had a right to be jaded. And that there's something almost naive about Daniel as he sits there that day. Daniel, don't you know? What are you giving thanks for? Don't you know what you're doing? He's going to get you killed? It doesn't matter because God is still worthy of my worship and my praise and my adoration. And that's the only thing in this life that matters. And you could take a lot away from me, but you can't take that away from me. And that is how a man who is staring death in the face could give thanks to God. You know, as we come upon the holidays, all holidays to an extent, 
are really about children. They're really not, you know, I saw something the other day, it was Halloween, it was like, like, when did adults steal Halloween? It's like a great question. Because, you know, if you're like an adult dressing up and wanting candy from me, you're just weird. There's just something wrong with you. But I'm just saying, you want candy from me for that? That's just, that's bizarre. I worry about you. And if you do that, God bless you. Please come back some other time. Somebody else is preaching that's not so radical. No, it's not going to be him. <laughs> Holidays are always about children. And so, therefore, all the feasts were to provoke and to teach opportunities to our kids. And so every time we celebrate, there is something childlike about it, by the very nature of it. There's something childlike about Thanksgiving. At least there should be. And so in that sense, there is something simple about it. And see, that's when, when we take these... Please listen to me. For the next few weeks, this is going to help you. If you take these things way too seriously as adults, you're going to ruin it for yourself and for people around you. You got to be kind of simple about all of this. Okay? And it's like, you know, you, you see like car commercials for Christmas? Don't do that. If you want to buy a car, buy a car, but don't buy somebody a car for Christmas, unless it's me. Don't buy somebody a car for Christmas. Let it be a little bit simpler than that. And in a sense, I, I know when we look at people that are thankful, we almost look at them as simple. Like, well, you know, <laughs> you haven't lived long enough. You'll be more jaded like me. Please don't be like that. Allow life to somehow give good into you and not, not see terrible things. You know, Job had the attitude, I think. It was just such a, such a beautiful attitude. He said, you know, he said there are good things. His theology is real simple. He said there's good things in life and there's bad things in life, or what he called evil things. And in his theology, God allowed both. And in his theology, it was like the good always outweighs the bad, and so therefore God is deserving of praise. And he said, should we receive good from the hand of the Lord, not evil? He told his wife. And he longed for days that were past. He said, oh, I wish that my children were about me and there would be a point in time where God anointed me and it would be like walking in butter. It would be like such, such a grand time, but it's not like that anymore. But you can't let life steal things away from you and to steal away from you the simplicity of just giving thanks. There's got to be a point that you stop and you reflect of if you're hurting because you lost something, at least you had something to lose. If you're, if you're hurting because you lost somebody great in your life, at least you had someone great in your life to lose. There are people that have never had that. And yet still in spite of that, they're thankful. New Testament tells a story of a prophetess who in spite of her losses remained thankful. We normally associate her with Christmas, but I'm going to steal her for Thanksgiving if that's all right. Her name is Anna. Luke chapter number 2, verse number 36. And one Anna, a prophetess, daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was of great age and lived with a husband seven years from her virginity. Now, it's really weird. We know the, we know the tribe that this woman is from. We, we only know the tribe Jesus is from because that's important. And we know the tribe that Paul is from because he is named Saul. Like Saul of Tarsus is like the very first Saul. They're both of the tribe of Benjamin. But that's basically it. We almost know you know, we, we, we know a little bit about some of the others, but for the most part, particularly women, we know nothing about the tribe that they're from. And, 
You'll notice that she is called the daughter of someone here, even though we find out later that she's married. That's a bad sign. It's a bad sign when you're not known as being the mother of someone and you're not known as being the wife of someone, you're known as being the daughter of someone because that means your best days were behind you before you were even born. And you can sort of see here that the fact of the matter is we know a little bit about Asher. We know that, that, that part, one of the blessings of Asher's a tribe, by the way, and one of the tribes, Moses, toward the end of his life, he would bless all of the tribes. And one of the tribes, as he gave the, the Asher, he gave them a very short and sweet blessing. Notice what it says there in Deuteronomy 33, verse number 24. And of Asher, he said, let Asher be blessed with children. Oh, you're, you're part of the tribe of Asher. You're going to be blessed with children. Well, that's great, isn't it? Let, let him be accepted to his brother and acceptable to his brother. Let him dip his foot in oil and let his shoes be iron and brass. And, and as thy days, so shall thy strength be. You're going to have children. They're going to anoint those children. That's what it means, dip them in in, in oil, they're going to anoint them as little babies. It's going to be awesome, and you're going to have feet that are that are like iron. You're going to stand, and your strength is going to last your entire life. That's a good thing for your life, your strength to continue until you're dead, to live until you die. But life had not been kind to this woman. Life had not given her children. Life had given her a husband, but that. That husband in that marriage had only lasted a few years. And we don't even know his name. It's not major to her life. And instead of taking all of this and, and instead, of, instead of being sad and mournful of what she did not have, she said, I won't get all of the blessing that God has given to my people. I, I won't have the, the blessing of children. Apparently she did not have a family like that. But instead of that, she said, I'll steal part of the blessing. I'll get part of the blessing. So I, I'm going to live until I die. It doesn't matter how long that is. And I will be in strength all of my days. Good. Goes on to talk a little bit about her. She was a widow of about four score and four years. For those of you that don't know how to do math, that's 84 years. Now, again, I don't know if that means she's 84 years old or literally she has been a widow for 84 years, which would make her about 100. But that's a long, she's old, and she's been alone for a long time. But instead of taking all of that, that loss and that anger and being embittered, she decided to depart not from the temple, but served God in fastings and prayers night and day. But one day when she was in that temple, she overheard a friend of hers talking to a young couple. His name was Simeon. And she heard that man bless that young family. And as she heard that, I believe she was transported back to the young lady, the young lady that dreamed of one day holding a little baby in her arms, the way all young ladies dream of holding a baby in their arms. I should say most. I can't speak for every young lady, but I, the ones I've known, they've dreamed of that moment of holding a baby, a baby that would change the course of their life. And so that when she overheard that man bless that family, that day, there was something that came back to her. And in verse number 38, and she coming in, in at that instant gave thanks likewise unto the Lord. As she snatched up that baby, 
No doubt there were tears that welled up in her eyes, not tears of loss of what she did not have, but tears of joy for the one thing that she had found in the course of her life, that she had seen redemption personified. And because of that, she would take that as a message of hope to people around us. Thank you, Anna, that you did not quit living that you did not quit living when your husband died or when other people died, that you stayed the course, even though you did not have people around you. And I know I'm talking to people today. When I was a youth pastor, I called some of my kids for Thanksgiving. What you doing today? They said, we're sitting at home eating cereal because mom is away. That's what we're doing for Thanksgiving. Teenagers sitting at home by themselves. Not everybody's going to have the big fancy dinner. You don't have everything, but you got the one thing. You can wrap your arms around the one thing that gives your life meaning and hope and purpose. Let there be that simple young person, that simple young lady, that simple young man just holds that thing and dreams the dreams of a foretime and gives thanks unto God and gives hope to people in their working schedules as they rush about the town that there is redemption in Jerusalem. You know, on Thursday, we will commemorate, we will celebrate, we will make pigs out of ourselves, or should I say, we'll make turkeys out of ourselves. I guess we'll make pigs out of ourselves if we eat ham, hallelujah. You gotta think about that a little bit. Let that marinate on your cranial tissue for a while, hallelujah. Hallelujah. We're we're, uh, actually commemorating a celebration that goes back 400 years. Approximately, almost 400 years, not quite. You know, in 1620, there's a group of saints and sinners, that's what they called themselves or what they were known of as history, saints and sinners, 102 of them that boarded a ship by the name of the Mayflower. They came to a new world. The saints were separating, they were Puritans, they were, they were separating from the mother country and separating from the Church of England. Later on, we would call them the pilgrims. The sinners were not sinners per se, they were just not part of the pilgrims. But together, they made up this group, 102 of them, and they were filled with hope and the promises of freedom, promises of financial blessing, and all the things that go with it. And so they arrived here in the new world of Cape Cod, you know the story, just in time for winter. Now they supposed that the winters of New England would be like the winters of Old England. And in that they were wrong. Because, see, New England, I don't know if you've ever watched the New England Patriots play in the winter, it's cold and snowy. It's nasty. It's terrible. They, they didn't have anything like that in the England that they were a part of. They still don't. You got the jet stream. It gives them fog and all of that sort of stuff, but nothing like feet of snow, just maybe a little inches of snow. And so when they arrived, they couldn't get off the boat. They sat there on the Mayflower that first winter. They were not allowed to leave and to go on land. They had to spend the entire time. 102 people with the crew on a ship that's 90 feet long. It is not made. Mayflower was never made for that many people to take them, let alone to keep them. And then, of course, in the midst of that winter, there was an outbreak of a contagious disease that was like a mixture. They said it was a mixture of scurvy, pneumonia, and tuberculosis. That ain't good. And in the course of that time, of 102 of them, by the time the spring rolled around, by the time they were able to get off, there were only 53 of them left. 102 to 53. Almost half of them had died. About half the the crew had died. They got on board. First thing they did was they built a church. From that church, they began to build other homes. As they began to do that, They offered them the opportunity to return home. No one returned home. They all stayed there. 
See, they had lost too much to leave. They had already lost too much to leave. And so as they were there, they built and they worked, they planted. With the help of Native Americans, you know the story. Later on, they would have the very first corn harvest. At the end of the full year, in November, the group's leader, William Bradford, called for a feast to celebrate their blessings. Remember, half of them were now dead. Basically means everyone had lost someone. The hunters were sent out into the wilderness to gather game for the event. The Indians, they brought deer meat. Come on now. They brought a little bit of deer meat there to add to the menu and to the celebration that would last for three days. But as they sat there for those days, they did not focus on what they had lost. Everyone had lost someone, but instead of being overwhelmed with bitterness and despondency over what they lost, they remembered the reason they were there to begin with, and they celebrated the reasons to be in America in the first place. They celebrated the things they had dreamed of aforetime. Oh, you're simple, William Bradford, to call for a time of thanksgiving. But the Lord's still good. And his mercy endures forever. And his truth endures to all generations. And he is worthy of all honor, glory, and praise. Musicians are coming. 2,000 years ago, another man celebrated a Thanksgiving feast with his friends. This is a particular type of Thanksgiving. It was there to give thanks for the escape from Egypt to commemorate that period. We call it the Passover. This man by the name of Jesus of Nazareth was just hours away from his own death. Luke chapter 22, he knew everything that was going on. He said unto them, with desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. He's the one that had told them repeatedly of what the next few days, the next few hours exactly held for him. That he would be taken, that he would be punished, that he would be tortured, and that he would be executed. But it wouldn't stop there. And he says, before that happens, I really want to celebrate with you guys. And again, that's kind of strange to say. It, I want to remember the greatness of God bringing us out of Egypt, making us a people. He said, for I say unto you, I will no more eat thereof until it be fulfilled in the kingdom of God. There's a, a meal that's waiting, and he hasn't had it yet. He said, not to the kingdom. And he, he took the cup, and he's holding the cup there that day. And I know it's part of the ritual. I know it's part of the, the custom. But I think it's kind of cool that on the night he knew he would not just die the next day, but he would suffer. He would be tortured. But he held that cup and he, the Bible lets us know that he gave thanks. He knew what that cup meant. That cup was his blood of the New Testament which was shed for many. He knew it was a cup that in a sense he kind of held, actually held the cup that he would later look into in the garden and say let this cup pass. But I'm still thankful for it gave thanks and said take this and divide it among yourselves for I say to you I will not drink the fruit of the vine until the kingdom shall come and he took the bread you know what the bread means right the bread is my body he says that to them this is my body it's going to be broken for you it's one thing for us to celebrate the Lord's Supper and say this was his body it's another thing for him to hold those elements and say this is my body that a few hours from now it's going to be nailed they're going to, they're going to take nails and nail this body to a couple of pieces of wood but I'm doing it for you 
And I'm doing it, I'm taking the elements of a Passover and I'm, I'm communicating something with you that in the same way in a night they shifted from slavery to freedom that you will emerge from this experience no matter how tormentous it is for all of us. You will emerge from it as truly free. Whom the Son has set free, you are free indeed. He's not, he can't just say that unless he's willing to pay that price. That's, part of, that's one of the reasons why he said, you've got to continue with me because he hadn't done that yet. He said, this is my body which is given for you. This do in remembrance of me. Likewise, he took the cup after the supper saying, this cup is the New Testament in my blood which is shed for you. Now, like I said, I... I don't, I don't want to dwell on the stuff I've lost in my life or that I'm losing. Nobody wants to hear it from me. I'm too blessed. Uh, you don't want to hear about my parents. You don't want to hear about my brother. You don't want to hear my bro- about my brother right now laying in a nursing home. You don't want to hear that. Another brother with Parkinson's disease, another sister that will never walk again. You don't want to hear that. You know why you don't want to hear it? Because you got the same stuff. And if you don't have the same stuff today, you will have the same stuff. There will come a day that life could kick all the stuffing out of you. You won't have anything left. You could be like Daniel, or you could be like the others. There are a lot of Jews that went in there and they said, you know what, forget all this. The reason we have a book named Daniel, the reason we still name our children Daniel is because a man stood there one day and said, you know what, he still answers prayer. And if he didn't answer the prayer of victory, he'll answer a prayer of repentance. If he didn't get me everything I wanted, that's all right, I'll endure all the way to the end. Because I know victory is coming. Oh, Daniel, you're so simple. Yes, I'm so simple. I believe it. I believe it. I believe he saves. I believe he heals. I believe he anoints. I believe he blesses. No, he hasn't done it yet, but he'll do it. That's why any of us are here, because he's done it before, and he's going to do it again. If he takes my loved one, that's all right. He's still worthy of all honor and praise and glory because I know there's a better day coming. I know this is not the end of the story. There's a better day coming. I know that everything that I've, I've given one day is given be given back to me, never to be taken away. Because of that, you stand before that window and you open it one more time and you've not seen any, listen, you've not seen anything get better, Daniel. Nothing, you've tried and you've tried and you've lived and you lived, but nothing seems to be working. That's all right, he's still worthy of worship. He's still honored three times a day. He's still worthy of the open window. He's still worthy of me facing Jerusalem and he's still worthy of the thanks that I can give him because I'm still here. I'm still here. And the dead, they praise not the Lord. What does that mean? They don't really have a reason not to thank the Lord. I've got plenty of reasons not to thank Him. The dead, it's already settled for them. But I've got reasons not to, which is why I choose to. I've got breath in my body and I've got strength in my limbs. I can lift Him and I can praise Him. And I looked at people as they assembled around the front today and I lost, I watched Sister Cersei come, and I'm not trying to embarrass her, but she just lost a husband of 50 years. But I watched her down here thanking God because he was still worthy of worship and praise because she really hasn't lost him. He's just not here for a little while. But one day, the trumpet's going to sound, and we're all going to be assembled together. And I watched Sister Maria as she was down here, and I'm not trying to embarrass her, but she's going through a valley right now, but she's been through valleys before, and he's still worthy, and he's still worthy of honor, and he's still worthy of praise, and he's still worthy of worship, and he's still worthy of thanks. So I want us to stand today.
could talk about being Americans all that we have. I get it. We're spoiled rotten. I get it. The biggest problem we have is not that we have not enough, but we have too much. I get it. I, I got it. But I also know that somebody right now, these, these next few weeks, they're not going to be the highlight of your year. You're showing up just like this lady, Anna, this prophetess. You're showing up at the house of God day and night. But you're just holding on till you see something come to pass. Oh, be like her. Have that strength of body. Live until you die. Live until you die. Hold on to that one thing and believe when you see it, give him thanks. Give him thanks of all that he's worthy of. Can we lift a hand right now? Regardless of what you're going through today. Regardless of what you're in, the valley that you're in right now. I give you thanks. I give you thanks because I'm still here. I give you thanks right now. You brought me to truth. I give you thanks, Lord, for my family and I give you thanks for my children. I give you thanks for my my descendants that are coming after me right now. I worship and I praise you right now because you're worthy of all glory and honor. But I also give you thanks for the things you've given me in the past. And I become that little boy here today. The little boy that believes you can do anything. The little boy that believes in Daniel and the lion's den and Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego in the fiery furnace and David before the giant. I, the little boy that stands there and says, you did it before and you could do it again. You're still doing it in the world today. And if you can use anybody, you can use me. And you still hear prayers of repentance. Maybe today that needs to be the prayer of somebody. God, forgive me all over again. Forgive me all over again. This has been another episode of the Revival Church Podcast. Give us a like on Facebook or email us at revivalchurchpodcast at gmail.com. Go ahead and give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And until next time, may the Lord bless and keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you and give you peace in Jesus' name. See you later.